0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel and I am the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel is the producer. Today's episode is episode number 308. We are closing in on the end of our sixth year of weekly podcasting, and we're pretty proud of that. Today's episode will be an interview, but before I tell you about our guest, if you would be so kind as to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and give us a five-star review so that when people search for podcasts about addiction, they find us. Please also subscribe to our YouTube channel and give our videos a thumbs up and ring the bell so that you know when there's a new video that goes up. And just as a heads up, there's a new video every Thursday at 6 p.m. without fail. Today, we are talking to an anesthesiologist. Her name is Dr. Michelle Humayden, and she is a specialist in Columbus, Ohio, and has over 12 years of experience in the medical field. She is providing pain management alternatives with a program for cancer patients. This program sends patients home on a strict and constant 24-hour regimen of ibuprofen and acetaminophen to preempt the onset of pain. She says the idea of being proactive with pain control rather than reactive is a very different way to think of things. We're really aggressive in starting this regimen before surgery and continuing that while they're in the hospital we're able to control pain very well. She says that non-opioid pain management options can result in less pain, less nausea, shorter hospital stays, and reduced costs. She also notes that hospital data show a consistent 50% reduction in opioid pain medication use among hospitalized surgery patients since inception. So this is something that is near and dear to our hearts here at the Addiction Podcast. So without further ado, let's talk to Dr. Michelle Maiden. Okay. So Dr. Maiden, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I'm, as I said before we started recording, I'm really excited to talk to you because while, you know, we talk obviously about addiction and, and and getting people off of drugs, we don't necessarily talk about some alternatives and you have an alternative for what I think is a, is a, you know, a big deal, which is pain management because nobody wants to be in pain. But anyway, tell us how you, you know, kind of your medical background a little bit and how you ended up where you are today.
1: So I, um, I went to medical school at the University of Kentucky. And when I was an undergraduate student, before that, I majored in chemistry and biochemistry. Mm-hmm. So those were uh, certainly good things to prepare me for a career in medicine. But I actually uh, was pretty torn at that point between a traditional medical career and a scientist career. And so I spent some time um, as an undergraduate student in different labs and got actually tapped into some folks that were physicians doing research and found out that you could actually pursue both of those careers. And to me, that just seemed like the most perfect uh option for me because I was very, very into the idea of being a scientist and an investigator and thinking about discovery and, and new things. But also, um, Taking care of patients and, and and kind of wanting to study and investigate things that would actually help people, and uh, physicians, I think, are all uh, people that want to help others. But I didn't want to just do it um, the traditional care that I would give, even though I do enjoy that and, and and did study that. I also wanted to help folks from being on the investigation side of things and the research and development side of things. So. When I was looking for medical schools, I was looking for somewhere where I could do dual training uh, in a research pathway and a medical career pathway. So I ended up at University of Kentucky for that. And I started there in 2003 and graduated in 2011. So I did uh, quite a long stint there where I did medical school and graduate school together in one package. And it prepared me for exactly what I wanted to do, which was have all of the medical knowledge and practice and um, access to patient care that uh, I needed to actually use my science background to get things that I wanted to study and and develop to patients. And so I I walk that world, those two worlds, I go back and forth all of the time. And sometimes that's clinical research with patients. Sometimes that's basic preclinical research with uh, other scientists and models of human disease or human conditions. And I've more or less one way or another been focused on neurological uh, research, whether that's cognition and recovery after surgery, pain, pain pathways, pain management, um, and how pain is affected by stress and, um, you know, uh, our environment. You know, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but I
0: I think what you're saying is huge in terms of both of your areas of interest, because I think... Um, like, for example, and I'm not saying this necessarily applies because you're an anesthesiologist, right? That's oh, your yeah. point. Prim- okay. Sure. So, one of the things that, you know, my husband and I have struggled with for years is, you know, Doctors typically do not know vitamins or nutrition, and that's not something that they will, as a rule. And I know that's a generality. Get into because they're not they're not trained on that, and so I think the fact that you take the medical training, but you also then want to research new and better ways to do it, I think that that's huge because I think um, you know when doctors are very very busy, they do what they know they can do you know, and don't necessarily have the time or the interest to maybe go that extra mile and, and do a little bit, maybe more research into whatever someone needs. Um, anyway, I think, I think that that's huge. So how did you get into even looking at pain management and, you know, alternatives to opioids? How did that come about? What got you looking at that?
1: So, I got involved with that aspect of things um, toward the end of my residency and fellowship training, um, which I did at Ohio State, and then I joined the faculty there. I got an opportunity to start organizing a team around a type of surgical patient. Um, So, this was nursing, pharmacy, other physicians, the surgeons, myself, and hospital leadership. We wanted to come together around this one patient population. And come up with a way to do the very best care that we could for them from the time the decision was made to have surgery until their their follow up long after their hospital discharge. And in the state of Ohio, the opiate crisis is just on the forefront of a lot of healthcare providers' mind. I mean, this, and if you're doing anything where you deal with pain or patients that are um, are having a painful, you know, condition or a painful experience like surgery. Um, it's just on the forefront of your mind. And so this bigger project, this kind of bigger initiative, we started really small. We wanted to do things like change the way we educate patients, um, particularly about pain and kind of what to expect when they have surgery, how we're going to manage it, um, change that automatic reliance on opiates as, as, kind of the expectation. But we also did some other things as part of this too. We did some nutritional um, changes. We we try to encourage people to be more active, um, more patient-centered decision-making, um, get people eating and up moving after surgery faster. And if your pain is well-controlled and you're not having side effects from the way that we're controlling the pain, you do feel better and you do want to get up and eat and move. And so, and, and I think, sorry to interrupt you again, yeah. but I think
0: you got, you also looked at doing a lot of these things in preparation for surgery right. and that's not something, okay, what surgeries have I had? Okay. I had C-sections. I ended up having a hysterectomy, but never did a doctor say to me, okay, prior to that, you might want to increase your vitamin B or whatever the vitamin might be, or your vitamin C. Um, you might want to make sure that you do exercise before this type of surgery happens. And I think. Okay, that's monumental, Dr. Humeda, And you make it sound like just like, you know, whatever, (laughs) but it's not. It's actually monumental when you look
1: at it because, yeah, it's huge. It it was definitely a a really big change in the way that we were doing things. And that's why we started small. (laughs) With one group, we actually started in uh, cancer patients that were having um, major reconstructive surgery for breast cancer. So uh, painful surgery, very invasive um, you know, uh, lots of opportunity to improve the way that we approached our pain management and, and preparation for what to expect in those patients. And and so um, we really started thinking about using other techniques, other medications, other approaches to pain control um, than what we were traditionally using, which was opiates, you know, after this type of surgery. So, so nothing done before surgery. Through the surgery in the operating room, we would use medications in the IV, IV opiates to control the pain. And then after surgery, the patients would actually get a a pump with opiates uh, inside, and they could self-administer pain medicine to help them be comfortable and promote their recovery. So they feel like they can move around and not be sitting in bed, take deep breaths, all the things that you want to do to help get back to your baseline, Right. That was the way it used to be.
0: Fentanyl is the single deadliest drug threat our nation has ever encountered, and fentanyl is everywhere, from large metropolitan areas to rural America. No community is safe from this poison. Steered Straight, a nonprofit drug education group based in Tennessee, is on a mission to educate students, teachers, parents, and communities on the dangers of fentanyl through their free... Fentanyl Fake and Fatal Online Course. This course was created for middle and high school students as well as teachers and parents. You can find it at www.courses.steeredstraight.org. We must take every opportunity to spread the word to prevent fentanyl-related overdose deaths and poisonings from claiming scores of American lives every day. Once again, that's www.courses.steeredstraight.org for a free course on fentanyl. In his 10 years as a top draft pick and starting center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Randy Grimes had to play through pain or lose his job. This led to an opioid addiction, and eventually he lost nearly everything. But Randy beat the addiction. Then founded Pro Athletes in Recovery and now details his story in his riveting book, Off Center, a memoir of addiction, recovery, and redemption in professional football, with a foreword by iconic player and coach Mike Ditka. We know Randy's story and highly recommend Off Center. It will inspire you to create your own comeback, available at Amazon and anywhere books are sold
1: completely changed that we started giving people some non-opiate medications before surgery to kind of start the, the analgesic process so that we could, you know, um, kind of block that painful stimulation during surgery without having to use as many opiates. And then after surgery, the, the self-administered opiates became a thing of the past. And we started scheduling the patients on, uh, non-opiate medication of different varieties, And we found out actually, um, when we started doing that, we we had anticipated that uh, the taking the medicine right before surgery would be a change that and we educated patients about that. But then after surgery, instead of waiting for them to say, Oh, I'm uncomfortable, I'm going to take a Tylenol, you know, an acetaminophen, we started it just by the clock, uh, pre- preemptively, proactively. We had to change. We had to actually go yeah. back and, and revisit our patient education because they would say, well, I'm not that uncomfortable. And we say, but it's because you're taking your med." you know, we're being ahead of the game. Right. And and, and so that was a real change. We didn't expect the patients to be like, well, I'm, I'm comfortable. I don't need an ibuprofen. And we would say, but we anticipate for at least a day or two that if if you don't take it, you will get uncomfortable. Let's be proactive. The The, the risk is so low um, right. from acetaminophen and ibuprofen when you take it appropriately and some other medications too. Um, we wanted to be really, you know, aggressive about that. And it's really changed how much we needed to give opiates and they became a backup plan. You know, we still use them, but it's much, it's not our, our plan ABC, it's our plan DE more so. And Um, And that that was the beginning. And we went from there. And now we have about 20 different types of surgery that we've done this type of planning for.
0: I I think that's huge. Was the fact that the opioids um, are addictive, was that part of the thought process in terms of why you even decided to look at this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, We want people, of course, to recover better after surgery and go home to their their home environment where they are more comfortable faster. And, you know, all of those things were part of it. But clearly at Ohio State from the beginning, the opiate reduction efforts were like a cornerstone of what we were trying to do. And we're in Ohio right at the heart of a lot of the opiate crisis. And we just it has impacted our state. And our citizens here incredibly, incredibly, Ohio State is committed to the community and care of our, of, our um, of course, locally, but throughout the state, I mean, and we, we've really tried to share what we've done, um, which again, it's not, um, you know, the idea of giving people non-opiate medication and, and taking advantage of other things is, is not so groundbreaking. I mean, that's being done more and more. But doing it to the uh, with the consistency and at, at the uh, scale that we have been able to do it for a healthcare system of our size and and done a lot to other educate other hospitals and other places about what we're doing um, that's really unique and so yeah the the opiate part of it was a big deal and it's because it hits close to home in Ohio our our uh, the impact of the opiate crisis here has been it's been devastating. Um, right. So, yeah and that, and that's
0: what I was that's another thing I was going to ask you is are you going around and talking to other hospitals in other parts of the country you know this sounds really bad for me to say but I would imagine maybe initially what you're doing takes a little more work. You know, sometimes people don't want a little more work. It is not only just on your part, but also maybe on the part of the patient. I'm not sure, but um, I think I just I just think it's absolutely huge. And you say it's not groundbreaking, but having talked to as many former addicts as we have who had a sports injury or had a surgery and became addicted to opioids, it is pretty groundbreaking. I it it just is. I know that. You know, with more recently, um, you know, the the light shone on Purdue and that whole thing. You know, I think doctors are a lot less willing to prescribe opiates um, as maybe as much as they did in the early two thousands. But I just think it. I do think it's groundbreaking. That's why we're talking to you today.
1: <laughs> well, it, it, it is. I don't mean to undersell it. I guess maybe the angle I'm trying to present is that it is something that can be done anywhere. Um, So uh, so that is maybe a better way to say it is that, yes, the way that we've done it and the way we've scaled it and the success we've had is pretty remarkable. And and it's it's done wonders for our patients um, and hopefully our state. But it is something that is achievable um, by anyone that would be willing to give it a try and not be not be afraid that their pain and their patients would be uncontrolled. Patient satisfaction would be low because they're unhappy. Uh, we've actually found just the opposite with that.
0: You are listening to the Addiction Podcast Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast, or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today. And say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. That's that. So your patients are happier doing this whole thing.
1: They they're very satisfied with their care. I mean, um, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's a it's a combination of um, feeling like we are trying to tailor uh, more so than just you know give the give a hammer uh, with the right. with the opiates when when a more um, you know nuanced approach would be. Uh, just as effective, but require more effort and more planning and discussion. And and so they really appreciate that. I think they feel like their care is being tailored. And um, the reality is after surgery, and it it can, I mean, it could be in just about any kind of surgery. Um, There are many that kind of, they've actually looked at the numbers for, but I imagine any surgery could fall into this where there's just a certain amount of patients that if they are given opiates, they're going to require them for a long period of time after surgery. There's just, a, and there's, that's complex. There's a lot of things that play into that, but we're hoping by decreasing the amount of opiates that we give perioperatively that maybe we can decrease the amount of persistent users that there are because we know that that leads to problems um, for patients and, and, and the community. And, and really that is the bigger picture. We want to help everyone individually, but we want to also try to help as many patients as possible, not become those those newly persistent users, people that didn't need opiates before surgery, and they need them now three, six months afterwards, or even longer.
0: Right. And you, and you bring up a good point. Um, we were talking before the interview about uh, Pamela Seafeld, who, um, you know, uses uh, natural natural remedies to get people off of certain drugs that tend to be addictive, some anti-psychiatric or psychiatric medications. But one of the things she said to me, which always stuck with me, and it goes right along with what you're saying, is that if you sprain your ankle, it's a good idea to take an anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen or I Forgive me, I get these two confused, or acetaminophen to handle the inflammation in your ankle. You don't need Oxycontin, which is a full on system pain medication. And that's true with your patients as well. Yes, it's an invasive surgery. And yes, there's pain involved, but it's in a specific area. And if you can, and the other thing I know for a fact personally is that if you can handle the inflammation, most of the pain goes away anyway
1: yeah 100% and 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 we think about that very strategically with our plan so you have an inflammatory component to pain you have like the the actual signaling from wherever the source of pain is through the nervous system up to the brain and then you also have the emotional experience of yes. pain that's a part of pain as well it's it's the the experience the threat of hurting the feeling of being hurt those types of things so And different medications and approaches can treat pain at all those different places. So opiates, you know, like you said, they are just kind of a a systemic all through the body uh, approach. And we would rather think about, this is an inflammatory process, let's give an anti-inflammatory, or let's, you know, uh, can we block the communication of the pain from wherever it's occurring to the brain? And can we do it for a period of time that actually will give some of that inflammation a chance to resolve. And then it's not as big of a painful stimulus because you've gotten over that first day or two after the major surgery um, and by blocking, like we can do blocks where we'll numb up the nerves going to the arm or the leg or the belly, um, all different ways of doing that. If you actually block the signal of pain and give some of that inflammation a chance to resolve, then it's not as painful a few days out and you've kind of gotten over that hurdle without needing opiates maybe at all, or at least not as much as you would have originally had to, if you hadn't done this kind of multimodal approach. So yeah. um, it is very tailored. Um, and we use, we're trying to use all the things in our tool bag to, to decrease opiates to the point where they're just our backup, you know, and, only for breakthrough pain that's not controlled otherwise. Yeah. And I,
0: and I appreciate that. I I really do. So if our listeners, are facing surgery or well yeah i guess facing surgery and they don't live in ohio <laughs> what what might they do like i'm just wondering if i talked to my surgeon and I said okay you need to talk to this doctor in ohio <laughs> about you know is do you have the protocol anywhere on your
1: website that so they- there's there's lots out there in the literature um, kind of the medical literature about about this there's okay. there's you know, like there's almost like a tool bag that you can read about where it's, you know, these things, there are options for the inflammatory process. These things are options for blocking the signal. These things are options for the emotional component. And then, um, you know, whoever's taking care of the patient can kind of pick and choose from those things. Right. I think from the patient what perspective, what I think is important for people to do is to have the discussion with their provider in advance to yeah. let them know, you know, I am worried about having pain as part of the surgery. What are the options um, for me and yeah. how can we minimize side effects? You know, cause opiates, it's not just the addiction part of right. it, that's very right. but they have a lot of side effects yep. that aren't, you know, aren't good for recovery. So yep. I wanna avoid side effects. I wanna avoid my risk to opiates. What are my options? Um, how, how will my pain be? What do you expect my pain to be like? Because that's important too. It, it's not realistic to eliminate pain completely. What we're really trying to do is get it manageable, right. tolerable, yeah. comfortable so that yeah. you can keep going in your recovery. And then eventually, hopefully it goes away completely um, after a handful of days or, or weeks. But, yeah. um, you know, having that real clear discussion about what to expect, I think is helpful. And how, how can the plan be changed if it's not working? That's a good thing for patients to bring up because um, sometimes things need to be modified and that's okay too. Knowing that that can happen um, and telling your surgeon or your, um, your family doctor, whoever you're having this discussion with that you recognize that I think is important too. So um, there's, there's resources online. Um, one I recall right off the top of my head is "Plan Plan uh, Against Pain." I think is the name of it, okay. and I can double check that. So if you want to like link it in the like the show notes or something, we can do right. that. But it's a um, it's a general resource that's put out by a, a group of um, different industry sponsors. But they've had all kinds of celebrity spokespeople that have been on their website and they have a toolkit that patients can tap into. And it'll say, these are things to talk to your provider about. And it's wonderful. You are
0: absolutely correct. It's called planagainstpain.com. Choices matter resource. And it talks about pain is personal, build a plan. So yeah, Yeah.
1: resource, And I think that's at least a good starting point. Yes. Um, I mentioned that when I talk about, um, this stuff to any 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 group that's going to be taking care of patients or guiding patients um, or a patient group themselves. This is a good resource to go to so that they can have some some things to make sure, uh, some structure to their conversation with the people caring for them.
0: And I think that's huge. And parents, if you're listening and you have kids in sports, I think it's a website you should check out because if your kids are playing sports, they're going to get injured and you need to know what some of the options are in terms of handling pain. You know,
1: we also, um, haven't mentioned it specifically yet, but the completely non-pharmacologic approaches to pain control are part of what we do too. So Mm. when it's appropriate, ice, um, aromatherapy, um, massage, we have different parts of uh, different, um, you know, I guess patient populations in our, under our care that those things are particularly good for. Um, and so we we make that part of it as well. We try to remind people to not forget about some of the complementary ways to, to control pain, um, as adjuncts to the, the more traditional pharmacologic ways too.
0: I think that's huge. I, I cannot thank you enough for the work that you're doing and, for this whole approach. It it needs to be put in across the country. And so hopefully there are other doctors who listen to this podcast and will contact your office and see about, you know, just learn more about it and see about putting in some of these other, you know, protocols for handling pain because I think it's it's absolutely huge. And it's, it is an important aspect of addressing this whole, Uh, opioid addiction, you know, addiction in general. I mean, people become addicted to drugs to handle some sort of pain. So there you go. But thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for sharing it with us. And I I appreciate you taking the time because I'm sure you are a very busy doctor.
1: (laughs) I try to stay busy. Yeah. Yeah. But this is important, very important stuff. And, um, you know, there, there's, like I said, there's, if you're a, you know, you're a physician or a caregiver. There's a lot of detailed resources about which particular doses and, and combinations of things out there to consider. I'm always happy to help people. And then from the patient side of things, you know, uh, don't don't be afraid to ask about pain right? and and have that discussion with your with your doctors and, and 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 let them know that you want you you want the extra effort put into an opiate sparing approach. Um, And that you're willing to engage with them in that, and that, and uh, I think everyone can benefit from it.
0: That's huge. Well, so you said people could contact you, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: providers could contact you. How would they do that?
1: Um, My email is a great way to do that. So um, it's my first name, M I C H E L L E dot humaidan, H U M E I D A N, at O S U uh, M C. Dot edu. That's Ohio State University uh, Medical Center dot edu.
0: I think that's perfect. Thank yeah. you again so much. I I appreciate you.
1: Uh, thank you. you know, this is this is important work, and um, we're all in healthcare to help people, and uh, you know, above all, do no harm. And I think that even though our intentions historically were to really control pain really well and to have our patients be comfortable. Um, There is some harm in that depending on the approach that you take. And now we see that. And now we are very committed to trying to change that and um, still keep people comfortable, happy, and, you know, moving toward um, uh, whatever, you know, recovering from whatever that they're dealing with from a pain standpoint, but doing it in a, in a way that, that doesn't rely on opiates the way it used to. So.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Of course. Thank you. I really appreciate the invitation and I appreciate everything that you all are doing um, around this topic as well. It's great.
0: Thank you. Thank
1: you for listening.
0: Fabulous interview. Once again, the resources she mentioned were planagainstpain.com. And I went to the website. It's very cool. If you anticipate surgery or if you have kids who are in sports, Pain might occur at some point, so it's a good thing to know. And then her email once again is michelle.humedin at osumc.edu, Michelle with two L's, and her last name is H-U-M-E-I-D-A-N, michelle.humedin at osumc.edu. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week with an interview.
1: You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, point of no return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.